To fallen soldiers, let us sing. Where no rockets fly, nor bullets wing. Our broken brothers, let us bring. To the mansions of the Lord. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. I often have the opportunity to share a meal with a man who is a member of the United States Marine Corps. He has engaged in heavy artillery fire and battle in Raqqa, Syria and he led a company of men guarding our embassy in Baghdad, Iraq. Later today, I'll be eating dinner with a man who served for years as a Navy SEAL. And he was a member of SEALs teams known, talked about, and admired by many in our country. It's an honor and a privilege for me to be in the presence of such men. The Marine is my son, the Navy SEAL, my neighbor. I am thankful for these men and for so many others. But today, Memorial Day, is not about them. We have Armed Forces Day and Veterans Day for that. Today is a day to remember those who died in battle, defending the freedoms we have. Freedoms, sadly, we too often take for granted. Each Memorial Day for several years now, Hillsdale College releases a tribute video. And I recommend you go watch it. It's only about three and a half minutes in length. And if you want to see it, it is at hillsdaleforliberty.com slash tribute 2022. And this video opens with a portion of a speech by former President Ronald Reagan. We are a nation under God. And I believe God intended for us to be free. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. And the list of names of those who gave that price, who paid that price, was far too long for President Reagan to even begin listing. And that number has only grown since then, so it's impossible for me to list those names now. But as this is a baseball podcast, I would like to list the names of former Major League Baseball players 
who gave their lives in battle, gave their lives fighting for our freedom. I am indebted to Lindsay Barra and an article she wrote for MLB.com six years ago for this list. And according to her research, 535 baseball players have lost their lives in military service. Twelve of those men were major leaguers who gave their lives in combat for our nation. Here are those 12 men. William E. Stearns, Newton S. Halliday, Ralph E. Sharman, Edward L. Grant, Robert G. Troy, Alexander Thompson Burr, Harry M. Glenn, Harry E. Chapman, Laverne A. Chappell, Elmer Gedeon, Harry M. O'Neill, and Robert O. Neighbors. Last Monday morning, either before or right after dropping the podcast, I thought, next week on Memorial Day, I'm going to devote the entire podcast to this topic, subject, to these 12 men, and, and give some of the story that was provided in that article that I had mentioned. But I decided not to do so. Maybe next year, Lord willing, if the podcast is still being dropped, I will do so then. But two storylines dominated Major League Baseball news this past week, and they're not unrelated to Memorial Day. And so I'm going to bring them into this podcast. One thing we need to remember, all of those who gave their lives, sacrificed themselves for our freedom, they did so after swearing an oath. And part of that oath was to defend the United States Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. These are words that many of us memorized when we were young. They are the preamble to the United States Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. John Adams wrote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. James Madison wrote this, The future and success of America is not in this Constitution, but in the laws of God, upon which this Constitution is founded. Patrick Henry, The Constitution is not an instrument for government to restrain the people. It is an instrument for the people to restrain the government, lest it come to dominate our lives and interests. And then these words from Samuel Tilden. The Constitution, our bulwark of liberty, is the closest instrument we have to earthly justice and fairness. Should the apparatus fail to support our particular preferences at the moment, we can yet be assured that it will protect us ultimately in the long term. And I can say amen to those words if James Madison's words are being kept in mind, that the future and success of America is not in this Constitution, 
but in the laws of God upon which this Constitution is founded. The First Amendment to the Constitution, one of the first ten, the Bill of Rights, ratified in December of 1791, reads this way. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And the Second Amendment. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Both of these rights were the topic of heated discussion, debate, and debacles over the past week, not only in our nation, but in Major League Baseball. There was an incident that actually took place a week ago Saturday. When I recorded the podcast Monday morning last week, it was out there, but Monday afternoon it took on a life of its own. It became a huge story for a, a two or three days. So a week ago Saturday, Josh Donaldson said some words to Tim Anderson. Josh Donaldson with the New York Yankees, Tim Anderson with the Chicago White Sox. Later in the game, the catcher for the White Sox, Yasmani Grandal, gave Josh Donaldson an absolute earful when he came into the box. Later after that, there was a brawl. Well, what was this all about? Well, first we have to go back a couple of years. In 2019, Tim Anderson did an interview, I believe it appeared in Sports Illustrated, in which he referred to himself as the modern-day Jackie Robinson. And the context was, I'm the modern-day Jackie Robinson in the fact that I'm bringing fun into baseball. Well, apparently a couple of years ago, Josh Donaldson said something about that, maybe called Tim Anderson Jackie, and apparently Tim Anderson said, we don't need to talk anymore. Well, a week ago Saturday, it happened again. Josh Donaldson said to Tim Anderson something like, hey, Jackie, and ended up causing all this ruckus on that day and then all of the media attention on the days that followed. Now, I was reading this Monday afternoon, and I was reading how Josh Donaldson was racist and that it was a racist comment to Tim Anderson. Now, Josh Donaldson has a history of talking trash. He'll do it publicly. He did it last year to a man that's now his very teammate, Garrett Cole. There's nothing new about that. But I couldn't figure out, how is this racist? How is it Josh Donaldson calling Tim Anderson Jackie when Tim Anderson referred to himself in that way is racist? And I'm usually pretty good at recognizing, okay, I disagree with something somebody thinks or says or a conclusion they draw, but I'm usually pretty good in saying, okay, let me put myself in their shoes. Let me reason with them. Okay, I see how they got here. I disagree with it, but I can get it. I couldn't get it. The, the entire episode between Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson and it being referred to as racist had me at a complete loss. Now, I don't know if Donaldson was trying to be friendly and it was what he called an inside joke in a friendly way, if he was trash talking, if he was basically saying to Tim Anderson, what, what kind of bozo are you to refer to yourself as a modern day Jackie Robinson? I don't know. But one thing I couldn't see was that it was racist. I didn't get it. And so I texted three friends. All three are brothers in Christ. All three are black. All three, I have heard them speak about their experiences of racism and people that are truly racist. 
one of them many of you are very familiar with, Chalk Knox. And he wrote back at first, Brother, I saw this and thought to myself, there just has to be more to this story. What am I missing? But then a day or so later, as he had learned more, he wrote back and he said, Man, sports are being used to move and manipulate us. And whatever guilt we have, they are tapping into. I think he is dead on in that comment. The other two friends that I wrote to, between the two of them, have north of 60 years of experience in professional baseball, both as players and in player development. One of my friends wrote back and said, Mark, I am in agreement with you on this. I don't know how they can spin this into racism. People are now looking to label someone instead of looking at the problem when it truly rears its head. That is key. They're just throwing out racist labels, and that's racist, and he's a racist, and that's racism, and they're missing it because racists do exist. Racism does exist. And it has an ugly head, and we're missing it oftentimes because we're labeling everything as racist. My other friend from baseball wrote and said, I don't think it was racist. And he questioned, was it a jab or was it a compliment? He didn't know. And he said, only Donaldson knows the answer to that. But overall, this is a complete joke. And he wrote and he said, I think what Donaldson was doing was saying to Anderson that, who are you? You're you're some kind of foolish to call yourself a modern day Jackie. And then that same friend wrote and said, here's what Coach Boone would have told Anderson. And with that text, he attached this clip. Boy, you must be outside your mind. Now that came kind of quick, so let's hear it again. Boy, you must be outside your mind. And if you're familiar with the movie, that is a clip from Remember Remember the Titans. And I, I chuckled at the clip. I have a tendency to agree that's what Josh Donaldson was saying, essentially, to Tim Anderson. But I also thought about other portions of that movie. And in particular, when Coach Yost, who had been the head coach and was a white man, he was replaced by Coach Boone, a black man. And Coach Boone was a hard-nosed guy. But Coach Yost was basically saying, you're too hard on people. And Coach Boone says, what people? And Coach Boone says, I notice you don't think I'm too hard on the white on the white players, only the black players. And he says, don't patronize these men. They need me to be tough on them. And I thought to myself, because this movie was set, the actual events were set in the early 70s. 50 years ago, Coach Boone was trying to be run out of town by people who were, many of them, truly racist. It was truly racism at work. Now, 50 years later, if he took that same tact as he did then with that football team, he would be run out of town for other reasons, for speaking in that way, and in some ways, I think, for racism in the way that we label it today. Now, I will say this. To my knowledge, and all all that I've read and heard, Tim Anderson never used the word racist or racism. He didn't say that at all. He did say it was disrespectful. After that game, however, his manager, Tony LaRussa, did say it was racist. And he was the first, and I think maybe only one, from the White Sox to come out and say it that clearly. But since then, the overwhelming majority of mainstream baseball media has jumped on that bandwagon very cheerfully. I heard things like this. It was a series of indignities intertwined with racism. 
also. It's so obvious what's going on. It's obvious this is racial. I even heard this. This is about supremacy. And he was referencing the fact that white people have always run the game of baseball. And he went on and he said, and any ba- anybody who pushes back against that is a threat. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, man, you're seeing things I, I just, I can't see. And my friends can't see. And they're good, intelligent, godly men who have experienced racism. Now, again, the other perspective is that this was disrespectful. It was done in poor taste. It was bad timing. Maybe, but that's a far cry from being racist. Now, there have been those on the other side publicly, some in the sports world, some outside of it. Jason Whitlock and Stephen A. Smith both said, what are we talking about here? This isn't racism. Ben Shapiro said the same thing. Samuel Say, who is a man that I enjoy reading uh, on Twitter, reading his comments, he wrote this. So let me get this straight. A black Major League Baseball player, Tim Anderson, says he feels like today's Jackie Robinson. Then a white Major League Baseball player, Josh Donaldson, calls him Jackie. Then the black player and Major League Baseball media accuse the white player of racism. What a stupid time to be alive. That's fairly close to summarizing my thoughts on this whole issue. Well, of course... disciplinary action was going to follow. So Major League Baseball did an investigation, and then they release the discipline, a one-game suspension and a fine for Josh Donaldson. And of course, some people went ballistic about that. That's not enough. He's racist. But in this discipline, they released this comment. There is no dispute over what was said on the field. Regardless of Mr. Donaldson's intent, The comment he directed toward Mr. Anderson was disrespectful and in poor judgment, particularly when viewed in the context of their prior interactions. In addition, Mr. Donaldson's remark was a contributing factor in a bench-clearing incident between the teams and warrants discipline. Now, I'm grateful that they did not say it was racist. I'm also grateful to see that respect matters to Major League Baseball. I thought it didn't matter anymore. I'm glad to see that disrespect and poor judgment is something they're not going to tolerate. But here's my question. Let's say Adam Wainwright is pitching, and of course he's pitching to Yadier Molina. And some young gun comes up to the plate and hits an absolute bomb off of Adam Wainwright. I mean, as soon as it leaves the bat, everybody knows it's a home run. And the young buck drops his back, looks back, drops his bat, looks back at Yachty and says, ha, you think you can call a good game? And then shouts out to Wainwright, hey, old man, maybe you should retire. And then takes three and a half minutes to get around the bases. And Yachty and Wainwright go into the dugout. They have a little conversation. The next time this player comes to the bat, he wears a fastball in the ribcage. And a brawl breaks out. Is this player that did that? going to be fined and suspended because he was disrespectful and he incited a bench-clearing incident? Somehow, I don't think so. Now again, as it regards Donaldson, obviously only he knows. But there's no evidence that I can see anywhere publicly, anything I've been able to come across, that would say we ought to accuse him of being racist, that this was racially motivated. I just don't see it. Even John Heyman wrote that LaRussa 
who's a lawyer as well as a Hall of Fame manager, should know better than to say the R word without any real evidence. And that's the key. There is no, that I know of, no real evidence. As I mentioned, this was the story until a few days later. When our nation and Major League Baseball experienced an event that was undoubtedly horrific and evil. And the horrendous and gut-wrenching nature of the school shooting in Texas. And of course, anytime this happens, a lot of people speak out. And it's not just politicians. And of course, a lot of people demand action. And often, maybe always, by many of these people, it is, of course, gun control. But it's not just politicians. Professional athletes, coaches, and managers have spoken out as well. And one of them was Gabe Kapler, the manager for the San Francisco Giants. He spoke out, and we'll talk about what he said here in a moment. But in speaking out, I saw many people in the media, not not the baseball media, but social media, saying, ah, he's just being selfish. This is self-serving. He's just trying to make this all about him. He's using it as an excuse to crush the Second Amendment. I guess all of that could be true. But I've got to give him the benefit of the doubt the same way I give it to Josh Donaldson. I may disagree with Gabe Kapler, But what evidence do I have that he's doing this because it's just all about him? Maybe he truly believes what he says he believes. I disagree with much of what he says he believes on this issue and many other things. But let's not start attacking him and imputing motives to him unless we have a whole lot more evidence than I have seen. Now here's a portion of an interview that he did in the dugout when he was talking about his view on all of this. I, I just don't I don't plan on coming out for for the anthem going forward until I feel like um, there's I, I feel better about the direction of our country so that that'll be the step I don't I don't expect it to to move the needle necessarily it's just something that um, I feel strongly enough about to to take that step So I do not agree with Gabe Kapler's way of making this protest by not going out for the national anthem. As a matter of fact, Tony La Russa said, I respect Gabe Kapler. I respect his opinion. I think that he is filing his grievance, if you will, or redressing his grievances to the government in the wrong way. I disagree with what he is doing. I disagree with, again, many things that Gabe Kapler believes. But he has the right to express his redresses against the government. He has the right to say what he believes and do what he thinks is the proper thing to do in the situation. And I also like this, or I also think we as Christians ought to think about this. He said, I don't know if it's going to move the needle. In other words, I don't know if it's going to make much of a difference, but I've got to do what I believe is right. I wish far more Christians would have that attitude. Listen, I don't know if this is going to make any difference right now, maybe even long-term, But I know what it means to obey King Jesus, and I'm going to obey King Jesus. That's not what Kapler's trying to do. That's not my point. But his attitude and approach ought to be one that we have. Now, he also wrote some things. He said that he's not okay with the state of this country. To that, I would say amen, though, again, my concerns would be far different than his. And he said that he's done, he's not going to come out to the anthem because he's done participating in the glorification of the only country where mass shootings take place. I take issue with a lot of what he believes, of what he has said, 
of what he has decided to do. But I completely support his right to do so. And the men who died, many of whom would also disagree with Gabe Kapler, died for his right to do so. I take issue with him on any number of fronts. You likely take issue with him on any number of fronts. And if we had the opportunity, if we were a staff member for the Giants or a player, we would look for that opportunity to talk to Gabe Kapler. And for some of us, we might want to just say to Gabe Kapler, Or you must be outside your mind. But at the same time, if we had that opportunity, we ought to be able to sit down. Gabe Kapler is an intelligent man. He may come to foolish decisions because his mind has been darkened by sin, but he's an intelligent man. We could sit down with him and say, wait a second, Gabe, let's think about things. Let's see what the Bible says. If we want the welfare, if we want liberty for ourselves and our posterity, what does Scripture say? And here's the other thing. We're about to get to June, so-called Pride Month. June, where many teams, the San Francisco Giants being one of them, celebrate this by their hats and their uniforms that they wear during at least one game. Here's what I would like to see for two reasons. I would like to see somebody, staff or player, with the San Francisco Giants that have to wear that uniform if they're going to participate in the game that day, said a game, listen, I can't do this. I believe our country is going in the wrong direction. I can't promote this. And Gabe Kapler would show me something if he said, I disagree with you, but I will honor that. I respect that you're standing for what you believe in. Now, it may have happened last year in San Francisco. I don't know, but I would love to see that. But we're moving very quickly. Today is Memorial Day, and we're only a couple days away from the so-called Pride Month. And as today is Memorial Day, it's about remembering and honoring our fallen warriors. Nobody not Gabe Kapler, not Tim Anderson, not Josh Donaldson, not you, not me. Nobody would have the freedom to speak out in the game or anywhere else if it wasn't for these men and women who died serving our country. None of us would be able to participate in or enjoy baseball apart from them. And as Christians, if indeed you are, we truly understand sacrifice. And we understand it in an even more ultimate sense than the selfless sacrifice of soldiers. We understand the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, that the price was high. He gave his body and shed his blood to set us free. He was willing. For the joy set before him, he went to the cross. And we need to remember, last Thursday was Ascension Day. Today is Memorial Day. This Sunday is Pentecost. Everything we think, everything we do, everything we say needs to be thought and said and done in light of the fact that he is seated at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling over all of heaven and earth, and that he has sent his Holy Spirit to work in and through his church to bring gladness to the nations, including our nation, whatever nation you happen to be a part of. And more than any group of people, Christians need to remember and we need to maintain perspective. We know with certainty that the wickedness of mass school shootings, the wickedness of racism where it truly raises and, and, and rears its head, that evil of every sort, the slaughtering of millions of babies in the womb, all of these things, we shouldn't be okay with them. 
We shouldn't be okay with the state of our country. We shouldn't glorify the sin of us, its people, in any way. And multitudes of those who have, defi- who have died defending our country, defending our freedoms, they did so understanding that true and lasting freedom for any person or any nation is found in Christ alone. Many of those who died were imitating our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ said, my life for yours. Our attitude today is, your life for mine. But many of these who died said, like my Lord and Savior, my life for yours. And they recognized that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they are now with him in glory and will dwell with him forever in the mansions of the Lord. At the beginning of this podcast, you heard a portion of the Hillsdale College Memorial Day tribute video. A a portion that was honoring American soldiers who died in defense of liberty. I'm going to let the audio from that song and salute end this podcast as well. (laughs) 